You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. Alan Toffler said, the future is always coming too fast and in the wrong way. Well, I have two gentlemen here that could possibly help with this. So there's such a new paradigm for organizations in this century, this decade, and these transformational times. Alan and Sam, how did you get into this area and co-author a book together? Well, I guess I should go first because I developed the approach that we talk about in the book over my career. First, when I was working in large corporate organizations, particularly in the hospitality sector, and I kind of used everything that I learned at that time to create the approach that I now use. And when it came to me that I should write a book about the values economy, it struck me that it would be really useful to have a multi-generational perspective. And that's where Sam comes into play. Yeah, so I found it really interesting when dad asked me to be involved because I found the fact that this is probably something that I've grown up with and was unconsciously unaware of it for a while. And as I kind of developed my career and became more interested in the business world and and had conversations with dad around the concept of the book, but kind of just general wider life as well, I became more aware of the step change. And I found it really interesting that it was something that dad has been consciously aware of and, and seen the change. And it's something that I've probably just grown into. And as dad mentioned that, so that multi-generational aspect being why we wanted to, to work on it together. That is what I especially celebrate is the multi-generational aspect, the ways of being coming together to create what I found was an extremely engaging read and so necessary. Like I've seen a lot around leadership and values. I hadn't seen quite so much about organizational values into more recent times. And given we're living in a time where we're transiting from very relational leadership, thinking hierarchy here, to responsive leadership, thinking wirearchy. We really need those intergenerational collaborations to make that work so we don't lose institutional history and we also don't lose the forward thinking and willingness to be agile in this sort of area. So these value drivers, are they really necessary? I mean, I've read your book and I totally agree, but what if my listeners who haven't read your book and maybe should, why are they necessary? I love sport and I think sport can teach us in business uh, a great deal. You know, if you think about football or soccer or rugby or cricket, whatever sport you wish, what's really important is for the team to have a really strong sense of its identity and the way that it's going to play. So probably football or soccer is my favorite sport. And so I'll I'll take that as an example. You've got two teams in a league. They're both wanting to win as many games as they can. But it might be that one team says, what we're going to do is we're going to stop the other team scoring. And when we get the slightest chance, we'll see if we can nick a goal and we'll win our games that way. The next team might say, we're all about free-flowing attacking football and we're going to score as many goals as we can. We don't really care how many goals we let in as long as we score one more than them. So those two teams Whilst they have the same objective, they would be very, very different to watch and support. And for me, it's the same in organizations. It's as much about how you do things 
my mind immediately went to the online gaming, the e-games and how huge that is. And, you know, you're making of a team for an in-person game. You can create the energy on the pitch and the who rah rah. I don't know if you're a gamer or not, but if I'm thinking your dad's talking about organization, bricks and mortar business, and we move the conversation over to e-commerce I think that's why it's such an interesting topic, because it transcends industries and and areas of life values, whether it's, as Dad's mentions, in sports, whether it's in the business world, whether it's in politics. I think there's so much around having a shared understanding. And when that shared understanding is consistent, I think delivery of kind of value is is so much easier to achieve. And I, I think that's not to downplay the value in diversity of thoughts, because I think that's also so important. I don't think that the most effective teams are those that all just completely agree with each other. I think there's absolutely value in having diversity of thought and and using that to find the best path. But I think you can achieve diversity of thought while still having consistency at that kind of values level. But yeah, as you mentioned, I think that's why it's really interesting because it can apply to organizations, it can apply to education, it can apply to personal life, family life, and loads of different areas, which is why I find that that values topic really interesting personally. What you say deeply resonates with me because I've spent a fair bit of time around how do you, the challenge of how do you build relationships that inspire trust and create sustainable investment, which is around interdependence. And right now, with our worlds and our teams being predominantly online with remote work, you know, we have this opportunity to create a diverse social web of neo-tribes and what you two have done, emerging and re-emerging leaders into alliances of visionaries, basically. And did 2020 not only turn us into a new decade, but sort of sped up in teaching us some very important lessons in business and rewriting a lot of the rules and how things have been done previously. So I thought that your book, The Values Economy, provided such a well-structured tomb of groundwork, framework, practices and implementation in a very engaging way. In fact, your book overflowed with fabulous examples of case studies and references, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading. So with regards to, to the case studies, who surprised you the most? That's a great question. Before I answer that, Michelle, I just want to talk about one of them, which is Nordstrom. And it's to your point that you were making just now about the online versus bricks and mortar. Because what Nordstrom have done really, really well, I think, is recognize that the channel is really secondary. It's what they stand for that is most important and to convey that to their customers, irrespective of the way in which their customers interact with them. And so during COVID times, they allowed customers to come to the store, but would pick up their goods curbside rather than go into the store so that they would be safer. And so I I was really in awe of Nordstrom because they very clearly understood that they were wanting to deliver a fantastic customer experience. And they didn't really care how they did that. It was more about understanding what the need was and then delivering it. So I think for me, that was a brilliant example in the case studies of the point that you were making. And in terms of surprise, I think Timpson, I've got a very soft spot for Timpson because what they do is they mend shoes and do dry cleaning and cut keys and stuff like this. So when you put that alongside some of the other case studies like Wimbledon and Aston Martin, you might think, oh, what's that doing there? That's not as glamorous. But it's a family-run business over generations, and they just have such a great 
common sense approach to business. I remember asking somebody about their business planning process. And this guy said, well, we don't really put an awful lot of effort into it because there's so much that can influence it. So we just say to the guys, can you do a bit better than last year? And that's the way we do it. And it's just refreshingly simple. And not demanding. Just do a bit better. I mean, we can all step up a bit. And with all the pressures and anxiety of the current COVID situation, nobody needs any more pressure to perform. Just getting out of bed and actually turning up dressed on the top and pyjamas on the bottom is usually a big win for a lot of us. <laughs> so Sam, in terms of your case studies, was anything weird, anything unexpected for you? I think dad touching on Simpson there and maybe commenting as to how people may think that was out of place is, was probably the most unexpected point of, of any of the case studies. I, in the first thought, had that same reaction. Some of the other case studies, Wimbledon or Aston Martin or, or Hanbury Manor, maybe seem much more glamorous than Timpson do. But Dad explained his logic behind wanting to include them. And I casted my, my mind back to the last memory that I had of Timpson. And it was when I had needed to take my school shoes to Timpson to get them resold because I had ruined them playing football. <laughs> so I remember walking into Timpson and, and walking into the shop. And my sole memory of that process is how friendly the guy that worked there was, how quick the turnaround was, and that he rehealed them and they lasted ages thereafter. So he's created a, a kind of a, a memory in me through that customer experience that he gave to me. And it wasn't rocket science what he did. He was just, he was a really personable guy. He was really friendly, had a laugh, had a joke, smiled a lot, turned around the service he was offering really quickly. And, and that just created such a lasting memory for me. Timpson used the Mr. Men approach for when they're hiring people. So they think about Mr. Happy and Mr. Brilliant and Miss Sunshine and all that sort of stuff. And what they're saying is that they only want people that are nines and tens if you look at them through that lens. And that's how they go about it. And I, I remember another interview with uh, one of their team. And I was really interested to know what sort of training they had had for interviewing, what sort of psychological profiling they did and all this sort of stuff. And this guy said, no, I just have a chat with people. And if they're the sort of person that I'd like to go down to the pub with and have a beer, then I hire them. And you might think that that's not very scientific, but actually, if people stay more than the trial period, which works out at around about 12 weeks, they end up staying for years and years. And they put a lot of effort into making sure that either somebody leaves quickly or they stay. And if they stay, they stay a long time. So they're doing something right. Great example. And you can't buy authenticity and being genuine. If you don't like people, you should not be on the front end. <laughs> Stay in the back. <laughs> so Sam, new generations are entering and leading in the workplace, mission-based, purpose-driven businesses. What inspires you? It's, it's an interesting question. And I was, I was thinking about leadership in the context of values before we joined the podcast today. And I think I'm really inspired by leadership and seeing high performance. And I was thinking what type of leadership 
motivates me the most and i think there's two aspects of it i'm very motivated by leaders who impress in terms of the job that they do when i for example have an all hands call at work so i work for ba systems um so if we have a, an all hands call where senior leaders are speak, speaking across the business i'm i'm always really focusing on how they're speaking and, and what they're saying and if i'm impressed by the way that they come across because if i'm impressed i find that really really motivating to know that they're the people that are leading the organization that i work for and that's the kind of level of performance that i need to strive to achieve i haven't necessarily had an example of this in in my short career so far but i don't think that i would be motivated by or as motivated by leaders that i would question in terms of kind of how i view their capability or how impressed i am by the impression that they give to me so i think leaders who i consider to to be really high performance and 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 am impressed by really motivates me so that's the kind of professional sense but i'm also massively motivated by people at work who are able to offer that personal touch and i think empathy is really really important in that and an example of this might be that at the moment at work i so i've been working from home for the last year and haven't been to an office for the last year and i was thinking about the benefits of that recently and so we have a friday social call at 5:00 every friday where it's just half an hour to just have a chat that is nothing to do with work because every call that we're on is is work related and we don't have that chance to have those kind of off the cuff conversations that we did would do in the office and over the last year we've learned so much about the people that I work with and and work for as well through those social calls and i recently remember one of my team members got a dog and got a puppy and my manager has as young children and the person that got the dog on the call and was showing us to him and our manager got his kids to come into the room and have a look and I I found that motivating to know that my manager was content and in a place with being happy with sharing his family and his personal life with us. It's not something that ever would have happened if we weren't all working from home. He would have left the office and he would have gone home. He might have spoken about his kids every now and then, but we wouldn't have ended up speaking to them. So I often will judge people first on a, a personal basis before a professional and I think that's because that's how I place the importance of those two things. And if someone resonates with me on a personal level then then it definitely helps me achieve a sense of motivation that I can't necessarily reach on a purely professional relate a professional relationship basis thanks sam really valid points and i appreciate you sharing because this willingness to be vulnerable and actually let people into your personal lives is a big one particularly for women i've worked in global corporates for most of my corporate career and first rule of thumb i did not talk about my family i didn't bring my problems to work never drank on the job never you know anything very quickly as a woman i could be judged quite harshly on things that the blokes would have been having a laugh about so this being able to build trust and bring your whole self to work is from remote work if they're not really rowdy kids and animals often you know we've seen some things go viral where funny things have happened but in the office so i'm very curious to see how this is going to roll out so alan we're heading into the possibility of a post covid world and as a post pandemic society how should organizations approach this client centricity and consistent delivery you have some great ideas in the book but i think the challenges with it all now being digital we have this sort of sands of time creating this enduring presence of a digital residue of how we've behaved 
Yeah, and I think there there is definitely an advantage that we've seen as a result of this past 12 months. So, and, and it touches this a more personal aspect that we were just hearing about from Sam. One of my clients, I joined on a, a regular team leadership call. And one of the things they were saying is that they feel as though they've got to know each other better at a personal level at, at this time than they had before. And, and we were talking about why this was. And it's because when you're in the office, you have your office face and your office uniform on, and you perform the role of your professional person. Whereas when you're at home with the dog in the living room or office or whatever it is, then you're more relaxed, probably. You're definitely more yourself. You can be a bit more vulnerable. And interestingly, they were saying, uh, we need to make sure that we keep a hold of this post-COVID. So I found myself saying to them, uh, so how are you going to make that happen? And the answer was, well, it depends uh, what they let us do. And I was like, well, no, guys, it's up to you. So if you want to have your monthly Friday quiz, then do that. Just do it. And so it'll be really interesting to see the people that have the courage to realize the benefits that have happened over this last 12 months and whether they'll be able to hold on to them or whether they'll resort to as it was before. Uh, and then from a customer point of view, I think whilst things are digital and easy, it's still possible to get across your character and personality. A bit more difficult perhaps, but it's still possible. And I think, Sam, you've an example not too long ago of Amazon, and you compared the way they dealt with a complaint that you had compared to, a te- was it a telephone company? Yeah, it's an interesting comparison, actually. So it was, a, as Dad mentioned, a complaints process where one of the examples was, yeah, a phone carrier company and just dealing with their customer service was a particularly tricky and laborious process, left me very frustrated. And it was that, I don't think it's uncommon, but someone going through a script sheet and asking me 20 questions without being able to bypass any of those. And there's not the individual who is at fault there, is it? It's the it's the process. And they're told that they have to stick to that process and, and they're just doing their job. And that's absolutely fine. But it's when you're engineering that process, when you're creating that process, what consideration are you giving to the impact on the experience that your customer is having? Because that process being so long-winded and, and not being able to bypass any of those questions, for me, removed any doubt around whether I should stay with that carrier. It frustrated me to the point at which I knew that I definitely wouldn't, even if they offered me a slightly better deal, because I didn't want to have to deal with that customer service again. And I think, yeah, Dad's referring to, to something with Amazon, but I actually dealt with it through Monzo, who are who are my bank. And Monzo are, are really quick in helping. They've kind of got a chat 24-7 function, come back to you very quickly, talk to you in a in a way that you would probably talk to your friends, but I don't particularly mind that. I find that kind of I prefer to be dealt with within that way. And they were just extremely helpful. They laid out expectations. They gave me timelines. They were proactive in coming back to me. I didn't have to chase them. And although they were slightly at fault for the for the reason that I was complaining, I didn't necessarily just switch to using one of, one of my other banks. I just continued to use Monzo because I knew that it was uncommon for them to have faults like that. And if they had a fault like that, again, it would just be dealt with quickly in, in the way that it was. So yeah, I think that that difference in how that how the different processes left me feeling is is so contrasting. And yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to take away from that. 
got another example from a different bank, so a more traditional bank. And I had a, a challenge with them paying a supplier that was providing service for me that was based in the US. And because of their, I guess it must be around their um, money laundering regulations, the payment was not made from uh, my bank to my supplier. And it was a bit embarrassing. And I followed it up with the bank, explained the problem. And then just like Sam's talking about with this long, laborious process, rather than if somebody had said, Alan, really sorry, I know you've been with us for a long time. I'm going to send you a couple of bottles of wine to say sorry. I would have been absolutely fine with that. That's not what happened. I got referred to uh, the customer services department. Uh, I asked to speak to the head of customer services and I was actually told by the person on the phone that uh, it was something like this. Our senior people don't talk to customers, which kind of sums the organization up. Long story short, uh, I eventually spoke to somebody in a, a position of authority and they ended up paying me over a thousand pounds as compensation for what had happened. And so not only was their process not good for me, the customer, it wasn't good for them, the business either, because irrespective of whether they gave me a thousand pounds or not, it didn't, it didn't affect my emotional perspective of them. I still felt they were rubbish at the job. So far better, they had sent two bottles of wine and we had had a friendly chat rather than the outcome that we had. Good point. Good point, Alan. So, gentlemen, my last question for you is if you could have everything your own way over the next decade, what are the top three things you'd like to see happen? Oh, so I, I would love this whole thing around authenticity that we've seen begin over the last probably five years or so that it's developed. Continue so that the cheats go out of business. That's what I'd like to see. That's one. I'll drop a second in around ways of working and, and how the corporate world operates because of that. And I'd like to see a huge shift towards working from home. I was reading a, an article recently on climate change and, and the environment, and it was essentially identifying that as much as individuals can do to make a difference, it's organisations that are having the real impact. It's organisations that are flying their people to a different continent for a couple of meetings. And that sort of step change needing to, to make a real difference. So hoping that people are able to embrace the change that has been brought about by the pandemic because it was change that needed to occur before the pandemic but I think the pandemic is is almost acted as a trial period because people were scared to make that jump before and I hope that people are able to see the benefit in doing it I think benefit in in terms of various factors I've mentioned the environmental impact that it has but I think there's, there's so much benefit in terms of how we collaborate as well and of course there's challenges and there's been teething issues over the last year but when are there ever not when we when we're trying to adapt and change so as long as we learn from that and continue to to take lessons from it and and adapt the kind of way of working throughout that then I think it'll be really interesting to see how we progress to that in the next 10 years. So my third one is around the equalization of reward for people that work for an organization, because I think management and to a certain extent leadership is kind of overrated and overglorified. And what is underestimated is the importance of the people that are in front of the customer. And I remember when I worked in hotels, 
I had a conversation with my then managing director. So I was responsible for running a, a five-star country club resort. And I said to this guy, how is it that the person that we trust to greet our most important customers or guests is paid so much less than somebody who sits in the finance office inputting data? I don't get that. And so I, I'm a great believer in the the importance and power of frontline people. And over the coming years, I'd love to see that recognised in a material way. Thank you. You both make some really wisdom-based comments and I really appreciate you being here. Any final words as we wrap up? Just thanks, Michelle. It's been, it's been great. I love your questions as well. I think this is much more fun. Yeah, just echo that. Thanks for having us. I think that final question is something that will be on my mind all day. So I'll, uh, I'll be thinking of, of what my top three are. Thanks for having us. As Dad said, it's, it's interesting to just have a really open conversation about some of these things, about how they're impacting us and what change they'll, they'll bring in, in the future. I'm so glad. Dr. Michelle St. Jean is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating. But more importantly, share with your connections. <laughs>